Eli has failed as a priest and a father, and we'll see some of the consequences of his failed priesthood here uh, next week in chapter 4. But, but this week we're going to see that God is making for Himself a man who will listen to His voice and a man who will speak on behalf of Him. Right now he's actually a young man. And we know that that young man is Samuel. Samuel will play an important role in the establishment of the king of Israel, which is to come, and also the the establishment of the greatest king that would follow, which is King David, um, at least in in the Old Testament history. So Samuel will have a part in Saul's uh, leadership and then also in, in David's. Samuel is a man who wants to hear from God and speak on behalf of God. And this will be the first time in a long time that Israel will be ready and willing to hear from God again. And Samuel is going to lead the nation for the sake of his people. And this, by the way, is often how God speaks to his people. He uses a variety of people to speak for him, but he loves to use those who who love to hear him speak. He loves to use vessels who are willing to humble themselves before Him and acknowledge that He alone is worthy. So this evening I'm going to cover chapter 3 and then the first part of chapter 4 because I believe it goes with chapter 3. So I'll end at the first part of chapter 4. But let's begin reading with verse 1 of chapter 3. This is the Word of God. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place, now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, that the Lord called to Samuel and he said, Here I I am. And then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord had yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will carry out against Eli and all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew. Because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, 
Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And he said, What is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me, of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything and had nothing and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. God speaks tough words to His new prophet. I think that's the point of of the passage here. God speaks tough words to His new prophet. We have uh, two primary points here in this passage. Number one, God calls Samuel to be His prophet. And then, secondly, God confirms Samuel as His prophet. First, God calls Samuel to be His prophet. Verses 1-14. through 14. When God calls a person, He does it on His own timetable. Samuel was just a boy. It says there in verse 1, the boy Samuel, probably not an elementary-aged boy, more, like, more likely a teenager here, but a young man, effectively. And this seems evident that he's not a boy from verse 14 because Samuel understands the vision that he's hearing and he doesn't want to tell. He doesn't want to tell Eli, does he? Because he knows the consequences of what these words might mean. God calls him and and God calls him while he's already ministering for the Lord or to the Lord. There in verse 1, it says the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. But it was at a time when the nature of special revelation was such that the words of God were were rare. They were infrequent. Visions were infrequent. It was very rare for them to hear from God. The story of the books of Samuel come on the heels of the stories of the books of Judges and Ruth. And during the time of the Judges, you remember, the word of the Lord was rare. Why was that? It's because people didn't want to hear from God, did they? And so God allowed them to wander around in the darkness that they wanted to enjoy. And He gave them a famine of hearing Him speak. And they were able to experience the just deserts of their own sins. And yet God would God would wake them up by causing them to go into some kind of trouble and then they would finally cry out to the Lord for rescue and God would be quick to come and send a judge to deliver them. But then they would fall right back into their sin, wouldn't they? You see, the Word of the Lord was rare in those days. But the good news is is that here in the books of Samuel, God is going to break the silence. And He's going to speak to His people through this prophet Samuel. And He calls this young man while he's lying down, while Eli is lying down. Verse 2 says that Eli was lying down and his eyes were bad. We'll see in the next chapter that he's effectively blind. He can't see anything. But here in verse 3, we know that it was early in the morning. It was still dark. And we know that because of the, the language of verse 3. And the lamp of God had, had not yet gone out. So Samuel and Eli apparently have some kind of 
living quarters within the temple or the tabernacle, probably a more accurate way to say it, there in, in Shiloh. If you remember from our study of Exodus, one of the jobs of the priests was to make sure that there was always light in the tabernacle. And one of their responsibilities, particularly at night, was to light this lamp at twilight, Exodus 30, verse 8 says. And that was supposed to remain burning. It was supposed to stay light all the way till morning. There was always supposed to be light in the temple, which would signify what, do you think? God never abandoned them, right? God was always there. That, that was the idea. So here it says in verse 3 that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. It wasn't the idea that you know, God's presence w- had, had not gone away from them. Uh, the idea here is that the lamp there in the tabernacle had not yet gone out. It was, it was just early morning just before dawn, and this is when God calls to Samuel. Samuel's lying down here. And we know from verses 4 through 8 that Samuel does not yet know the Lord. Um, Yeah, look at verse 7. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. So, before we get there, the Lord calls to Samuel three times. Samuel, and Samuel responds, Here I am. He thinks Eli is speaking to him. He didn't know who was speaking, but apparently God was speaking clearly, and He was also speaking in Hebrew so that Samuel could understand Him. But the reason that Samuel couldn't discern God's voice was because God hadn't revealed Himself to Samuel. This doesn't mean that he's not a believer at this point. Uh it probably more likely means that God hasn't revealed Himself in a powerful way like He would to the prophets and the priests. In this case, God hadn't given His spoken word directly to Samuel. It was always through Eli or through some other man of God. And so this is the first time that Samuel was hearing God's voice for himself, where God was meeting with Samuel in a special way. And that's why he didn't know who was speaking to him. When God calls a person, He makes it clear that it is He. Look at verses 9 and 10. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be that if He calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Eli finally figures out what's going on when Samuel's hearing this voice that it's actually the voice of God. And notice in verse 10 that when God speaks the fourth time, He doesn't simply speak to Samuel and say Samuel. He does two things that are different. One is He comes and stands next to Samuel. Probably This is probably a Christophany, a, a, a pre-incarnate Christ standing there in the form of a person. And He's standing there and He calls to Samuel not once this time, but twice. When God calls a person, He makes it clear that it is He. Maybe a little bit fuzzy who it is before, but when He uh, intends to call a person, he, he finally makes it clear. When God calls a person, He chooses the topic for proclamation, or He chooses what His messenger is going to say, verses 11 through 14. It's very interesting that God doesn't ease Samuel into the ministry of prophecy, right? You're going to be my spokesperson, so let me give you an easy one here to start out with, Okay? Go around everybody that you know and tell them that I, God, am going to give them $100 each. Okay, This is your first prophecy that you're going to give. I mean, that would be 
kind of a good prophecy to start with, right? He would feel good about himself. People would feel good about him being the prophet. Or, you know, go tell Eli that all those things that I said about him, about judgment and those kinds of things, tell him that I've changed my mind. I've relented. And now those things aren't going to come on him and his family. I mean, that, that kind of message would endear Samuel to the people and it would endear Samuel to Eli. But instead, in verses, verses 11 through 14, notice verse 11, God gives to Samuel from the very beginning, the very first message that He gives to Samuel is a message of judgment. Tough words that Samuel is going to have to say on behalf of God. Verse 11, The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. The word tingle there in verse 11 is a word that means shudder. It's the idea of shuddering from the news that you're hearing. It's the kind of sensation that you felt on Wednesday when you heard that a cameraman and a news reporter were gunned down in cold blood. That's the kind of shuddering that's going to happen when Samuel speaks about this judgment. It's a tingling that God is talking about here. Every Every two ears that hear this are going to tingle. Because this is a message of judgment. And the message of judgment is the same message that he had already told to Eli. And it is that what he promised to Eli was going to happen. Look at verse 12. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves And notice, he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel may have been hearing about this judgment for the first time. Maybe Eli didn't tell him that he was going to be judged. Eli didn't tell Samuel that Eli and his family were going to be judged. But whatever the case, Samuel is now hearing it from from the very voice of God. And this would serve as a warning for Samuel, wouldn't it? That he should obey God and represent God well, lest he fall under the same judgment as his predecessor, his mentor. I need to follow God's Word. I need to be careful about sin, or else I will fall under that same judgment that's coming down now on my Master. We saw in chapter 2 that the sin of Eli was not that he failed to rebuke his sons at all. That is, that he didn't say anything. He did do that. But but the way that God describes it here is that that was the problem. He didn't rebuke them. In other words, his rebuke was just a bark without a bite. Right? He, he didn't do anything about it. it. It was a rebuke that needed to have some teeth. It was a rebuke that needed to remove them from their office. Not say, you know, I'm going to honor my sons over God. Allow them to say, I don't want them to feel, you know, to have bad feelings about me. So I'm going to allow them to continue on in their sin. No, the the problem was that Eli cared more about them than he did about God. And that's why God says in chapter 2, verse 29, You have honored your sons above me. And later on in that passage, in chapter 2, He says, "I'm, uh, I'm going to humble those who exalt themselves. Eli and his sons fall into that category and now Samuel knows about it if he didn't know before. In verse 14, we see that there's no atonement for this high-handed sin. 
No sacrifice or offering can be given now to cover over these sins. They've already shown their they've already shown themselves for who they are. They've already shown their cards, so to speak. So where's the message of blessing here, right? And God's first message to little Samuel, young Samuel, probably teenage Samuel, his first message, no blessing at all. That was all he had to say. Samuel probably thought that he was going to have some time to be left to ponder this weighty information alone. But God would use Samuel's proper proclamation of this message of judgment from God to confirm that God would now speak through this young man. Samuel didn't have very much time to ponder this message of judgment because just as soon as he hears it, it's morning. And Eli wants to know what just happened. So, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, really through chapter 4, verse 1, God confirms Samuel as his prophet. So first God calls Samuel to be his prophet, and then God confirms Samuel as his prophet. And the first person who acknowledges Samuel as prophet is Eli. At this point in the morning, it hasn't been too long since God has spoken to Samuel. And Samuel is understandably troubled by the heavy news that he has received. Look at verse 15. So Samuel lay down until morning, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. He was afraid to tell his foster father. Remember, he's, this has been his family since the time he was born. Remember his mom, Hannah, gave him up from the time that he was a boy. Probably since the time he was weaned. Probably three years old. Now he's been there for 12, 15 years, whatever it is. And the person that he knows as his father, effectively, is Eli. And now he's got this message of wrath that he's supposed to give to Eli. And that's why the text tells us that he was afraid to tell it to Eli. And this is amazing, isn't it? No sooner has God called Samuel to be his mouthpiece then does God give him a message of judgment that is meant for the closest person in his life, his foster father, Eli. And you know, this is often the nature of God's calling of His ministers. He calls them to speak on behalf of Him truth. And, and immediately, many times, God just throws that minister of His into the deep end to see how they do. What will this minister do when it comes to a choice between feeling good and speaking my truth. Will he speak for me? Will he speak what I told him? Or will he equivocate? Will he kind of just walk on the fence a little bit? This reminds me of Isaiah and his calling. Isaiah would come along centuries after this that we're looking at tonight. And he says to God something very similar. Here am I. Remember, send me. A very similar response to Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And God's response to Isaiah is, Okay, I will send you to a people who is ever hearing but never perceive, perceiving. They are ever seeing but never... Uh, they're ever hearing but never understanding. Ever seeing but never perceiving. They will be obstinate. These people will be inflexible. They will hate you because of my word. So, are you still ready to go? See, we tend to focus on the first part of Isaiah 6. He sees this great vision of God on His throne and then here am I, send me, and we stop. But then the rest of the chapter is, now I'm going to send you to an obstinate people. 
people who don't want to hear my message. And you're going to you're going to cause them to go further into their rebellion against me. They are going to deepen their condemnation because of your message. Samuel's put the test to the test right away. Samuel, you said you were listening. Now, are you ready to obey me by speaking to Eli and to the nation of Israel this message of judgment? And as he's considering this terrible plight, his master calls him. Eli, verses 16 and 17, asks him what God has said, and he, and he makes him swear by an oath. Listen, if you, if you hold anything back, then, then may God do so to you. Uh, let me just read that. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me, verse 17, of all the words that he spoke to you. But what's amazing here is that even though this message of judgment is about Samuel's effectively closest relative, Eli recognizes something really important, that this message is from the Lord. How did Eli know that this was from the Lord? Look at verse 18. Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Samuel did his job initially. And Eli replies, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. How did Eli know that this was a message from the Lord? Well, we already know the answer to that because of chapter 2, right? God had already spoken to Eli. Do you remember how God spoke to Eli? Did He come to him in a vision? Did He come to him in a dream? It was a man of God that was sent. Apparently, there were some prophets still around. There was at least one who was still speaking on behalf of God. And this prophet came to Eli in chapter 2, verses 27 to 36. And he told Eli, the very same thing that he's now telling Samuel. And so when Eli hears it from Samuel's voice, he knows it's also from the Word of God, or or from the voice of God. This is amazing, especially since, remember, the the Word of God has been rare. Do you remember verse 3? I'm sorry, verse 1, second part of the verse, and... Word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. So in a, in a short period of time, apparently, this man of God comes to Eli, judgment's coming, and now God comes to Samuel and says the same thing. And yet what we know from the rest of the books of Samuel is that God is going to speak more frequently. And I think there's a reason for that. But for right now, what you need to know is that God is going to speak more frequently than He has before in the times of the judges. So first, Eli acknowledges Samuel as God's prophet. And then second, Israel acknowledges Samuel as God's prophet. In verses 19 to 21, Israel acknowledges Samuel as God's prophet. Verse 19 seems to span several years. This probably doesn't take place over the course of you know, a few hours or, or days. You know, like news travels today. It travels a lot faster. He wasn't able to post this message of judgment on Twitter or something. Um, it took a long time, probably a few years, before Samuel was finally confirmed by all of Israel. And how would Israel know if Samuel was a true prophet? How would a discerning person in Israel know if Samuel was from God or not? Do you remember? They had to speak what? They had to speak the truth. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, 21, and 22. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord... Uh, which the Lord has not spoken. In other words, how will we know a false prophet? And the answer, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. Do you want to know a false prophet? 
see if it comes true or not. See if their prophecy comes true. In that case, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you shall not be afraid of him. So don't be afraid of these false prophets. You can know them. You can tell the difference between them and a true prophet. It's going to take some time. You've got to see if their prophecies actually come come to light. We can do that the same thing today, right? We can see if someone's actually speaking on behalf of God. When they say, you know, the Lord's coming on October 3rd and October 3rd passes and the Lord didn't come, well, then we know they're not speaking on behalf of God, right? And any time they give any date, by the way, uh, we know they're not speaking on behalf of God because no one knows the day or the hour, of course. Well, in this case, Israel had to to judge Samuel on the basis of what he had said. And so over the course of several years, Samuel is considered by Israel to be a true prophet. His, his prophecies came true every time. Otherwise, if they didn't, then it would be clear that he was a fraud. And notice verse 20, the scope of his influence. All Israel from Dan even to Beersheba. So this is another way of saying the whole nation. We might say, from, you know, in our country, from the, red, the, the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream waters. Right? We're saying from one end of the country all the way to the other. We're, we're spanning the whole country. So that for them, it was from Dan, that's the, that's the north, uh, that's the tribe in the north, and then Beersheba. From Dan to Beersheba, they all knew that none of Samuel's words would fail. And then, verse 21, the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. The Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This phrase appeared again, could be a, continued to appear at Shiloh. Because remember, the, the, there still is a priestly function going on. God still is meeting with Samuel at least. But this is a contrast now, I think, with verse 1 where the, the word of the Lord was rare. Now what, what God wants to emphasize is, I'm here, I'm among you. You're going to see me more often. And I think one of the reasons was because he had a young man who was now willing to listen to him and to speak truth on behalf of him. So, Eli acknowledges Samuel as prophet. Israel, all of Israel acknowledges Samuel as prophet. And then thirdly, God speaks to Israel through Samuel in chapter 4, verse 1. Thus the word of the Lord, or I'm sorry, thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. There are four statements that show us that God is now speaking to Israel again. First, chapter 3, verse 19. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. So there's the first indication that God is now speaking again to Israel. Verse 20. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet, a, a God speaker, someone who would speak on behalf of God. And then 21. And the Lord appeared to Shiloh, uh, again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel. Here's God speaking, and then the end of the verse, by the word of the Lord. And then chapter 4, verse 1, the word of, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Notice the wording there in verse 1. It's even hard for me to read. It seems like it should be, thus the word of God or word of the Lord came to all Israel, but instead it's the word of Samuel. And I think what's happened here is that the word of the Lord has become equivalent with the word of Samuel. And this is exactly what you want in a man of God, in a, in a person who's going to speak in be, on behalf of God. No, please recognize this doesn't mean that Samuel was perfect and infallible in all that he said, just like the Apostle Paul was not. But it does mean that when he, Samuel, and when he, Paul, speaks on behalf of God, he is speaking the very words of God. 
That's what you want in a person who's speaking on behalf of God. And, and so now the text changes the, the language to the word of Samuel came to Israel. Because that was consistent with Samuel hearing from God and speaking for God. It's the same thing as the word of the Lord here in this case. Four points of application that we can draw from this chapter 3. Number one, in times of trouble, what we need most is to hear God speak. In times of trouble, we need to hear God speak. Israel was in rough shape. You think about the last just couple hundred years during the times of the judges. I think it was 300 and some years. They had abandoned God. The nation would only call on Him when they were in the most desperate straits. When they were in the most terrible of miseries. This is why one of the repeated statements in Judges was, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so when the people called for help, God amazingly was quick to send a deliverer, but then they would get fat again on their sin, and they would forget God, and they would go back to the sin that they loved. Israel was in a difficult spot, historically. They were on the brink of disbanding and being wiped out by their enemies and maybe even uh, completely annihilated. More than ever, they needed to hear God speak. In times of trouble, we need to hear God speak. Because God, during our times of trouble, brings life by means of His Word. He's done it since the time of creation. And He wakes up the dead. That's what God would need to do to Israel. God would do it through this man, Samuel. And this principle is true of Israel here, just as true as it is today. That in times of trouble, in times of crisis, we need to hear God speak. Application number two, we must listen to the voice of God. We must listen to the voice of God. So whether you are being called by God to be a spokesperson for Him or whether you're hearing from one of God's spokespersons, what will you do with the Word of the Lord? Has the voice of God become rare in our society? Has the voice of God become rare in our church because we've taken it for granted? Have we let the Word of God fall to the ground rather than reach our ears and change our lives? I think part of the reason that the Word of God is so rare in our society is because we have fewer and fewer people who want to hear God speak. I think one of the primary reasons, that's one of the primary reasons. I think the other is that, that we are dependent on God for His mercy just to speak. We, we can't force God to speak. But I think God loves to speak to those who are humble. I, I think of some examples, and I don't have the exact text for you, but when Jesus came, and he healed the demoniac when he came across the lake. I think it was at uh, Gennesaret. And he healed the demoniac. And, and he had all these people, from, from uh, probably Gentiles. And he said he turned away from that place because they didn't want to hear from him. And I think the point is, is that God wants to speak to his people. God wants to speak to people. But he doesn't stay there forever. He doesn't just stay there and keep speaking when people are not willing to hear. And so I think part of it is uh, uh, the complicity of our own hearts 
when the Word of God is read and taught and preached, how is it that we respond to the Word of God? Is it rare in our society? Is it rare in our church because we're not interested in hearing it? Application number three. We must practice what we preach. We must practice what we preach. Now, I recognize that God hasn't called all of us to the formal office of the overseer, the preacher, the pastor. Okay, not, not all of us can be called in that way. But, but God does call all of us to be some kind of a preacher. We could say a proclaimer. Maybe that softens it a little bit so you don't feel like it's an actual office. Okay? But, but we are all called to proclaim, to be ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal on behalf of us, be reconciled to God. That's what Paul says. We need to practice what we preach. What kind of person does God use to speak His Word? Well, God can use any kind of person, right? He can use a donkey, even. Talking about Balaam, Balaam's donkey, okay? Not myself. But God uses those who listen and obey, generally. Yeah, He can use all sorts of people to speak His truth. But He wants those who are willing to practice what they preach. That that it's not just enough to say words, but actually be consistent with them. So, one of the prayers that you can pray for one another, and specifically me as the pastor of this church, is that I would follow and obey the words that I preach. That I would do it before I preach, when I preach, and after I preach. Certainly, Satan would love to, to make the words that I preach on behalf of God fall to the ground. And one of the ways to do that is by uh, my character or, or my unwillingness to hear the Word and respond to the Word. So you can pray for me in that way. But don't lie, buy into the lie of Satan that says, don't worry about listening to the Word now. You know, you're going to be able to do that later. You can listen and obey later. So just keep speaking on behalf of God. And then once you get to a place where you have more influence, maybe more hearers, then you'll feel the weight of that and then you'll be more serious about it. I can tell you that's a lie of Satan because there are countless thousands of pastors and missionaries who have bought into that lie who just thought, you know what? Once I get to the field, once I get to the ministry, that's when I'm going to really be concerned about what God has to say. It doesn't happen that way, friends. We don't wait until the next step in life, you know? Once I have kids, once I have grandkids, once I get retired, then I'm going to get serious. No, God is speaking to you now. How will you respond to Him? Practice what you have to say to others, what you will proclaim. Application number four, don't be afraid to speak for God. Don't be afraid to speak for God. The message of judgment that God gives to Samuel about Eli not only serves as a test of Samuel's faithfulness to God's message, but also as a warning, as I mentioned earlier to Samuel, that he must be faithful in speaking properly on behalf of God. And the same thing should be true of us as well. When God calls us to expose the sin of someone else and call them to repentance, it should not only test our faithfulness to God. Are we willing to speak up on behalf of God when there's potentially pushback from the people that we love. But it also should serve for us as a warning of what the consequences are if we disobey God. If we turn from God and not repent. 
because okay, opposed to the health and wealth gospel, you do have a message of judgment to tell. Okay, it's not just a message of judgment. Praise God for that. Get to the mercy part. But part of people understanding their condition is doing what we did this morning, is studying through a passage like Romans 3. Saying, we are all lost sinners. There's not one of us who's righteous, and we all stand condemned before a holy God. That's a message of judgment that no one wants to hear. And, and many of us don't want to tell. Right? It's not easy. We'd rather just get to the fun part, you know, right? the puppy dog part and, and the good marriage part. But, but God's saying, listen, I've got a message of judgment that I need to tell, and I'm going to use you to do it. So, so don't be afraid to speak for God. Let's pray. Lord, this isn't how, how we would imagine that you would call a new prophet for yourself. We would think that, that you would kind of ease him into it, give him an easier task to start with, but but it, it helps us to recognize the seriousness of um, the calling of the pastor. It helps us to recognize the seriousness of the calling of each one of us as Christian ambassadors who will speak truth on behalf of you. Help us to speak the very oracles of you as if we are speaking your words. Speak through us, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to, to, to see these messages of judgments as warning for our, warnings for ourselves that that if we fall or if we turn astray, so too will we go in that direction. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful that you are not only a God of wrath, but you are also a God of mercy to all who come to you, all who humble themselves before you. And we, um, we boast in our Savior and the cross that he has given to us. We can't boast in ourselves, but we can boast in the cross. And we do that gladly because he is given us that great gift and and your spirit has regenerated our hearts he has turned them from darkness to light and now we live for you lord help us to do that in the way that we listen and the way that we respond in jesus name